Welcome to the Lifehouse Podcast. Our aim is that together we can love God, love others as we walk each step with Christ. We hope you find this message practical, encouraging and life-giving. Be blessed. Part of the Great Commission, one of the things that Jesus uh, said for us to do is that we are to go and make disciples. And that's for everybody in this room. We are called to, to make disciples. But in order to know how to make disciples, we first need to learn how to be a disciple. And that includes uh, for myself. And uh, so I feel like that our guest speaker is someone that I uh, am a disciple of, if that makes sense. Like if I have questions about how to run the church, if I have questions uh, about faith, if I have different things uh this is someone that, that I go to, and so I wanted to bring him here. He's been here several times before, <coughs> both him and his wife, and, and spoken and, and blessed our church um, because, yeah, he has a heart for people. He has a heart for you, and uh, I believe he has an amazing word for us this morning. So would you please uh, welcome Pastor Richard as he comes to share the word this morning. Good morning, Murray Bridge. You live in a great part of Australia. We are blessed to live in uh, just a magnificent country, although we've got a little bit too much water at the moment. Like it's, and we need to be praying for those that have been affected, um, particularly concerned in this part of the world for the dairy farmers. That That's a pretty big stress. Um, and... Um, we drove through uh, from Sydney, we drove through Will Kenya and um, I drove there a couple of years ago um, to visit my mum here before she passed away and when I went through there was the drought and so I stopped at Will Kenya and I stood at the base of the bridge and it was almost bone dry. They had that massive fish kill and then we were there and the paddocks are flooded and the the bridge is almost, it's the water from the Darling. So there's more water. There's so much water. But I'm reminded that we are a sunburnt country, a land of droughts and floods. And, um, but I think it'd be good for us to pray for those in your community that are doing it tough, particularly the dairy farmers in those. So is that Okay. So, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen those that are really battling. Lord, particularly those who will take months and months of recovery, working hard, levy banks that have seeped and broken. And, Father, we pray that you would bless them and strengthen them. And, Lord, we pray in all of this that people would come alongside others. And in this, Lord, they might find you and be strengthened by you in Jesus' name. Amen. It is exciting to be here. This is a fantastic church. You know you're in one of the most, well, you're in a very strange, it's, it's, you know your church is very well known around Australia. That's true, yeah. I've got a word for you. I do. Um, but the Holy Spirit's at work here. It's just beautiful to being a church which focuses on Christ and is open to the Spirit and you've got, it's a multi-generational church. 
That is beautiful. It's just sensational. And aren't your pastors great? Do you know how Josh said, you know, don't worry, I haven't written the song? I, I thought I was hearing a song this morning, but I thought, it sounds like dogs groaning. So <laughs> I'm not sure if it was the four golden retrievers or Josh. <laughs> but you, you are led by great pastors, great team, and you, great team, and like Mark and Holly and just the team and Tash and Brock and got gifts all over the place yeah it's just wonderful um this post-covid has been a pretty challenging time for us um i had anticipated post-covid that i would have to do a lot of travel to get to our pastors overseas that have been quite isolated and of course with the ukraine russia war um that's made things more challenging we've got teams in ukraine i've been up there up on the border but one of the things that's happening, and Kathy was with me in Kazakhstan, because one of the things that is happening is not just what's happening to the Ukrainians, but also to the Russians. And so there's refugees going all over the place. You've got Russians leaving Russia. You've got Russians leaving Ukraine. You've got Ukrainians leaving Ukraine. It's a big, big mess. But Kathy and I were with a group of Russian pastors. Um, our team in Ukraine is largely led by a young woman. She's 22 and her parents, but she's the pointy part. They have done, they did 50,000 kilometres delivering aid in three months. And um, at the beginning of it, they, they rode off their car. They had massive car accidents. Both of them were in intensive care. And they miraculously recovered really quickly. We bought them another car and within a couple of months they've blown the gearbox. So you can imagine what it's like trying to get vehicles in a setting like that. But one of the things that we... Kathy was with me when we were in um, Kyrgyzstan. And we got a whole lot of Russians to come across the border. Um, they can get across there and they're pastors. And... We had Ukrainians and Russians together, which is a challenge. But I want Kathy to come and share a story, which is probably it's a beautiful story of a miracle in the midst of great trauma. So would that be all right, Kathy? Thank you. Oh, hello, Lifehouse. Oh, <clears throat> it's good to see. Oh. <clears throat> I'm a little bit overcome. I love this story, but um, oh, for those of you who don't know me at all, this is quite common. Don't fret. I'm not famous for many things, but I am famous for crying. Thank you. So Richard and I were in Kyrgyzstan, and uh, I met Richard in Kazakhstan, and he said to you, I'll meet you in Kazakhstan. I thought, how hard can that be? And uh, so I did meet him there. He turned up, which was good. And uh, we, were in <clears throat> we were in Kyrgyzstan and we had 40 Russian pastors come for a conference that Richard was leading with them. And um, every day we tried to have a different breakfast, lunch and dinner with a different pastor so that we would get to know them with our interpreters. 
And one morning, we had breakfast with this wonderful man. You know, there's some believers that you meet and you're so aware of the power of the Holy Spirit upon them. Very humble. Sorry, just a beautiful man. He uh, lives on the border of Russia and Ukraine. And I said to him, how safe is it? And he said, oh, safe enough. And uh, he works full-time as a plumber, has five children and leads this church on the border of, on the Russian side in Russia. And there are thousands and thousands of Russians leaving Ukraine because of the war, just as there are thousands of Russians leaving Russia to escape conscription. So there's this vast movement of <clears throat> dislocated and very frightened people. And in his church, he's midway, and so they've had hundreds and hundreds of refugees come through their church. And he said that there's a woman in his church who's phenomenal, and she goes every day to the refugee camp and um, she brings them through the church. She gets them food and clothing and helps them. She's just anointed a woman for this time. <clears throat> and one day... <clears throat> She said to her children, uh, I want you to go to the shop and I want you to buy chocolate for the refugees. And so they had whatever money they had. They had a little bit of money. So her kids went and bought this chocolate for the refugees. That morning there were about 150 refugees in their church. And they got back to their mother and said that this is all we've got. And she said, that's okay. She said, just start breaking it off and giving it to the refugees. So her children started breaking off the chocolate to give to the refugees. <clears throat> and, um, oh, there was this, um, oh, miracle of provision of chocolate. And they began to break it off and everybody got chocolate. I'm sure the people at the start didn't get much. But uh, as it went on, there was this miracle of provision. It just kept coming and coming and coming. And uh, the pastor, oh, as he told us this beautiful story, said he was weeping and weeping for these people. And I thought to myself, I thought, firstly, there was the burden for this man and these people and these countries, this overwhelming burden. Secondly, I thought, how beautiful is God that he multiplied chocolate. We don't need chocolate, but there is dignity in chocolate. You can get a can of tuna and it'll keep you going for a day, but to be given chocolate, there's dignity. And I thought, we have a God who dignifies his people. Thirdly, I thought, how amazing that it was the children of this lady who saw the miracle. You see, with miracles of provision and miracles from God, it's the servants who see the miracles. With the disciples, when they had the feeding of the 5,000, it wasn't necessarily the people who saw it. It was the disciples as they served and handed it out. In John chapter 2, at the wedding in Cana, it says that when Jesus turned the water into wine, it was the servants who filled the um, containers with water. And it says that he told them to draw it out and take it to the master of ceremonies. And it says the master of ceremonies did not know where the wine came from, but the servants did. And this is the beauty of serving Jesus, that we are the ones who see the miracles. And I thought these little children saw the miracle of God.
So Holy Spirit, I pray you open our hearts that we would understand what you've put in our hands, that we might be used by you, Lord God, uh, to reach into the lives of others and, and let there be transformation in others. That's why we pray, Jesus. Amen. I'm going to be very naughty. <clears throat> I'm not going to preach the message that I gave you guys. Um, I'm just going to shift gears. You and I are called by the Lord and been given a great privilege to advance the kingdom of God. But I think it's important that we understand how the kingdom of God advances. This is really important. So I want to go to Matthew 11... And verse 12. I'm going to start there. So it says in Matthew 11, verse 12, it says, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of, of heaven suffers violence, and violent men take force, take hold of it. <coughs> I've been in Christian churches a long time. <clears throat> I've heard many people suggest that if we're going to advance the kingdom of God, we have to have incredible commitment. We've got to take it by force. We've got to be forceful. Have you heard that? Biblically, it's not right. It's actually wrong. This passage means the exact opposite. Let me explain. I believe that we need to read the Bible in context. So it says, From the days of John the Baptist... This is Jesus speaking and written in Matthew. It says, from the days of John the Baptist. What were the days of John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist was the cousin of Jesus, yes? Right? So they're around about the same age, although John was before him, correct? What happened in the days of John the Baptist up until this point of John the Baptist? What happened? Well... John was born, Jesus was born. What did Herod do? Herod freaked out because he heard another kingdom was coming, yes? What did he do? He tried to kill all the babies, yes? Violence. So until John the Baptist, until this time, the kingdom of God suffers violence and violent men take force. Take it by force. This is a reference to Herod. It's not about me forcefully trying to make the kingdom of God happen. Because otherwise that would make other passages in the Bible not make sense. Because it says it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Now, that does not neglect the fact or negate the fact that we need to be people of commitment. But what is the opposite to forceful taking? Surrendered giving. The kingdom of God will advance on our surrendered giving. That story, um, which I not planned, I thought just while I was sitting next to Kathy, it would be great because it was so powerful for us. Here are these children in doubt whether they even surrendered it. And as they're actually surrendered in their giving, God does a multiplication. 
Your church is a lot like that. You're doing incredible things. And it's the kingdom of God will not advance through our self-efforts. And we need to be mindful of that all the time. We need to be people who are open-hearted, not gripping onto things, not holding onto things. But open. Because the tendency of us is to slip back into um, a commitment that becomes legalistic and moralistic and that's not what changes the world. See, what changed the world was Jesus surrendering his life. The gospel is upside down. Those who try to find their life will lose it. Those who lose their life for my sake will find it. So the opposite to forceful taking is surrendered giving. And so the advancing of the kingdom is not a matter of our effort or our force, but it's a matter of our response to his grace in our heart through our hands. See, if grace truly touches your heart, your hand is going to move. It's impossible for your hand not to move if Christ touches your heart. It's impossible. I want to show you something in Luke, which sits aside each other. Now, Luke was a doctor, so when he wrote Luke Acts, he was very methodical in how he wrote you'll see things that Luke writes alongside each other because he's trying to allow us to see um, objectively. So I want to read to you from two passages, chapter 18 and chapter 19, and they're alongside each other for a reason. So we're going to read the story of two young, rich men. They're alongside each other. Luke 18 and Luke 19. So Luke 18, 18 to 27, we read this. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, and this is in your Bible will have the title, the young, rich young ruler. It says, a certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honour your father and mother. And all these I've kept since, he says, all these I've kept since I was a boy. And he said, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. And Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, What is impossible? Before we make any comment about this passage, now let's read what sits alongside it in the next chapter because this is the important issue, I think. Luke 19, verse 1 to 10. It's also about a rich, young guy. He was young and he was rich. In your Bible, it doesn't have the second rich, young guy. 
But I reckon Luke, if he had to put the headings in, he would have, because he put them alongside. Let's have a read of this guy. Jesus entered Jericho and passing through, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. We know from study of history and the context, we know he was young. He was a chief tax collector and wealthy. He wanted to see Jesus, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed up a sycamore fig tree to see him. And since Jesus was coming that way, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up at him and said, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I want to stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. And all the people saw this and they began to mutter. He's gone to be guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to his house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what is lost. Now I've just read the two passages. <clears throat> now I want to give you the, how they sit against each other. First young man, wealthy. Second young man, wealthy. It's not the wealth that's the issue. First young man thought he was good. Kept the Ten Commandments. The second young man knew he wasn't good. The first young man was asked to give and couldn't. The second young man was not asked to give, but gave anyway. The first young man went away sad. The second young man was filled with joy. The, second, the first young man was asking questions of eternal life, the second young man was not asking issues of eternal life, yet received eternal life. He wasn't even asked to repent. Here's the, here's the issue. The first young man was trying to earn his way by keeping the Ten Commandments. In fact, he starts with the, the question of good. That's why Jesus says, don't call anyone good by God. Because he thought he was good enough. But you can be sitting here and have kept all the Ten Commandments. In fact, you won't ever have kept the Ten Commandments because Jesus said in the New Testament, if you look at somebody with anger in your heart, you've it's as good as committing murder. If you've looked at a, a nice girl who's not yet your wife, right? If you wanted that motorbike that somebody else has... But what does he do with, with the second rich guy? Think about it. Zacchaeus is short. He's already at a disadvantage. He's wealthy. He's been working for the Romans, so he feels like a traitor, and he knows he's a traitor. He can't see the crowd, not just because he's short, because they hate him. No one wants to let him get a view. What I find fascinating is that Zacchaeus runs ahead. He's probably already heard something about Jesus. He's probably tried to get acceptance all of his life. The first young guy felt accepted in his community. But deep down, there was something absent, yeah? 
The second guy, Zacchaeus, knows he's a rascal, knows he's... But he would have heard stories about Jesus. Jesus actually ate with tax collectors. Maybe there's a possibility that somebody would accept me. So he's trying to get to see Jesus. He's up a sycamore tree. It's like a big fig tree. When Jesus gets to Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus doesn't say anything. Jesus takes the initiative. The first young man, he took the initiative. The second young man, he did not take the initiative. Jesus did. Jesus gets to the sycamore tree and it says he looked up at him. Do you know God never looks down at you? says you're not good enough, you're not together enough, you don't have enough. He never does that. He always looks up at you. And what does Jesus say to Zacchaeus? He looks up at Zacchaeus and says, Today I'm coming to your house. Now, let me tell you, if you've got a guest or your house is not prepared and all of a sudden a really important person comes up to you and says, can I come to your house for lunch? You say, hang on, just let me talk to my wife first. Quick, quick, quick. Like, you're not going to do that, are you? You're going to want it to be all cleaned up and all tidy. Zacchaeus doesn't even have an opportunity to go home and clean up his underpants. Get the laundry out of the way. Push it into clean the... Boom. Jesus says, I'm coming to your house today. Woo. Jesus is coming to your life today. He's coming to the world's life today. He's not waiting for you to be perfect enough. He's not waiting for you to keep the Ten Commandments in perfection, although he would like you to. He's not asking you. He's coming into your life, into a broken life. He says to Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. And everybody's criticising. They're all muttering. Why is he going to eat with a sinner? Why is he going to somebody's life who's an absolute mess? Why is he going to the imperfect? Because of his love. Now, here's the point of it, though. Zacchaeus is so overwhelmed by the goodness of God, he doesn't even need to be asked to give. See, goodness moves our hearts so profoundly that you can't help but move your hand. Zacchaeus is not asked to repent. Isn't that interesting? In this passage, Jesus doesn't say, now Zacchaeus, you naughty boy, you've been working for the Romans, you scumbag. It's time that you... (laughs) Like, he doesn't, he just goes... And Zacchaeus immediately responds in an unusual way. He Those that he's ripped off, and he's ripped off hundreds, he's going to pay them back four times. That's pretty staggering. And what does Jesus say? He says, today, salvation has come to his house because he too is a son of Abraham. It's hard for me to get my head around that. See, even as a pastor, you know, sometimes I'm looking at people and thinking, you've got to get your life in that, life, life sorted out. You've got to get your act in order. Not you, I wasn't, that was not a... <clears throat> well, maybe over here, but no, no, no. <laughs> definitely over here. <clears throat> like we don't, <clears throat> the goodness of God is so overwhelming 
that it so transforms us that here's a man who says, okay, now the issue is not to do with the money or the wealth at all. It's a, it's a parallel. Because he's saying, here's somebody, a rich young ruler, who thought he was good and thought if he could keep all the commands and do everything perfect and Jesus would have the extra law, the secret key that he could do so that he could enter. Does that make sense? Some of us in church are trying so hard to do everything right that in the midst of us doing everything right, we miss seeing the love of Christ. It is possible to turn up to church and be faithful and serve and be dutiful and miss the whole love of Christ. And so we have to return to our first love. <coughs> Revelation 3.20. <coughs> Actually, we do have that passage. Revelation 3.20, if you can chuck that up. <coughs> it says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. <coughs> if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come and eat with him, with that person and they with me. That passage was written to churches. It was written to churches. In fact, that was spoken by Jesus himself in his glory to John on the Isle of Patmos. Let's read chapter 2, because this is mind-blowing. We've got that passage there too. Just before that passage, so this is in chapter 2, before I stand at the door and knock, he says, I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, but that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them to be false. You have persevered and have endured hardship for my name and you've not grown weary. Now, when I read that, I think, wow, They should be applauded, yeah? Good works, persevered, suffered, da-da-da, all that. That sounds like a perfect church, yeah? Then what does he say? The next verse. Just pull that up. Yet I have this against you. You've forsaken your first love. You've forsaken your first love. I want you to consider where you've fallen from. See, at the beginning of this year, I think it's good for us to position ourselves and to remind ourselves that it's all about the grace of God. It's not about our perfection. If we can stay connected to the reality of who Christ is in our life, we maintain our first love. When I got born again, I got born again here in South Australia, and um, I'm going to tell you something that I'm embarrassed about. It's true. Prior to my conversion, I disliked Italians. I don't know. Is anyone Italian here? 
please forgive me. I really disliked them intensely, partly because of the school I went to in the area of, in, in Adelaide where I lived. I thought all Italian women were short and they were as white as they were high and they wore black and they ate all these strange things. Now, I, you know my favourite food now? Italian. Weird. So I get born again. <clears throat> I come to faith in Christ. Profound conversion. I turn up at a, a particular church and the first person who greeted me was a guy called Danny Guglamucci, an Italian. <laughs> Mamma mia, what are you doing to me, Lord? So he discipled me. So then I go somewhere else. The first prayer meeting I went to, I went to this prayer meeting, there's 400 people and the guy on the door, was his name was Joe Timpani. He became a great friend. I was surrounded by Italians and they were beautiful. Mwah. Do you know what happens with your first love? It's not just about your love for God, it's about your love for people. And you can't give what you don't have. So if you yourself lose connection with the forgiveness that God has given you, your heart becomes shrinks. We can all work hard, we can all do good works. We can all persevere. We can all pray. I know people who pray, and, and it's important to pray. I know people can read the Bible. It's important to read the Bible. I know people turn up at church at all the meetings. That's important. But the most important thing is your first love. You can't work your way to heaven. And so we need to reposition ourselves. You know the Lord is knocking on your door today. He's knocking. He says, if you open the door, I'll come in. Isn't it interesting that passage was written to Christians, people who are already Christians. We need to remind ourselves that we need to return to him. We need to return to the sense that we cannot earn our way to heaven. We can't prove that we're good enough. We can't work hard enough. And please... It's not about, I've been a Christian a long time now, and even for myself, I can get caught in, I have to do this, I have to help somebody. Now, we do need to help somebody. But if my helping somebody is me trying to prove to God that I'm worthy enough and that I'm pleasing him, I've lost it. Zacchaeus had Jesus take the initiative right today, the Lord is saying, I'm coming to your house, ready or not. You don't have to get everything all cleaned up. I'm coming to your house today. All you have to say is okay. Sometimes the hardest thing for us to do is to allow him into our imperfection, particularly if you've been a believer. And <clears throat> the very fact that we're willing to open ourselves to hear his voice and open the door to him to enter our world regardless of how perfect it is. Just the willingness to listen and open the door. He has, he has promised that he will eat with us and us with him. In fact, in Luke 22, you know the passage? It talks about who is the greatest in the kingdom. And he goes on to say you shouldn't be like the Gentiles who lord it over each other. 
but must be like a servant. You know that passage, yeah? In verse 27, it says something really interesting. I wonder if we can jump through to that. It's verse 27, Luke 22, verse 27. Because this sums it up so profoundly and beautiful. So Luke 22, verse 27. I'm a... Technician's night, worst nightmare, aren't I? No, tw- uh, Luke 22, sorry, not Luke 2. Luke 22, verse 27. No problem. Because <clears throat> it's really important that we get the order right in the sense that all of us want to do the best we can. All of us. I mean, I'm talking to Josh and Belinda about how they're trying to do the best, you know. And sometimes in our attempt to do the best, we can... I'm not saying that they have lost sight of anything, but we can put a lot of pressure on ourselves, yeah? have got to remember. Let me read it to you. In Luke 22, <clears throat> verse 27, it's a passage where Jesus has just before washed the disciples' feet... And showed them what it is to serve. And fundamentally he says um, <clears throat> that he demonstrates the greatest is the one who serves. But there's something in this passage that is so profound and it's often missed. <clears throat> in verse 27 he says, For who is the greatest? The one who is at the table or the one who serves? I'm going to stop there. What's the answer? Yeah, that's what I thought. Read it. It says the opposite. It says, For who is the greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? And I've read it in all the translations because I thought, oh, my translation's wrong. I never noticed it. All of a sudden, you know what Jesus is saying? You don't serve to get to the table, but if you're invited to the table, you can't help but serve. Isn't that awesome? You don't serve to get to the table, but when you're at the table, you can't help but serve. I saw this demonstrated in my own life just a few years ago. Kathy and I got invited to a dinner of a person that's an international... Oh, he's a hero for me. And I thought the invitation was wrong because it was a small, intimate dinner. I thought it was wrong. They've, they've got the wrong Richard. They've sent it to the wrong Richard. So I had to get our PA to check. You know, can you just check? They've... No, no, it's you. Okay, so we, t- we end up going to the dinner. And when we get to the dinner, they, he says, I want you to sit right next to me. <gasps> I was both elated in joy and terrified at one time. Guess what? When you're in love with Jesus, you're elated in joy and you have awe and fear as well. And you know, when I sat at his table, I was like I had ants in my pants. Every time a glass was empty, I'm filling up his glass. Would you like some of my salad? Would you like? I see you like the bread. Here's extra bread. You have my bread. Do you know what happens? When you're overwhelmed by an invitation, you can't help but serve. And so we've got to get it right. Way round, particularly at the beginning of a new year, yeah? I'm Zacchaeus. 
We're all Zacchaeus. Some of you probably, you know, your life is pretty together. But not every aspect is. And that's okay. The Lord's coming to your house and he's invited himself. We sat with Josh and, and uh, Belinda when we got in there, get to their place, and all of a sudden the four gold retrievers come in. Oh, my goodness. They were taking the initiative. <laughs> I love you, I love you, I love you. Who are you? <laughs> right? <laughs> Jesus is like a supernatural golden retriever. <laughs> He's coming to sit on your lap and lick you to pieces. <laughs> and do you know what you have to do? Those dogs didn't care what clothes we had on, even if we had clothes, or whether we were together or not together. They were just coming in and they were licking us to pieces. Don't worry, Jesus is not going to lick you. (laughs) But he is going to like you. He not only loves you, he likes you. He likes you. He created you. Would you close your eyes? Lord, in this room, there will always be some that are struggling and put too much pressure on themselves. It's part of our journey. We love you so much that we so get to work and we serve and we give. And and in that, sometimes we forget, Lord, that actually that's not what it's even about. All it is is about us listening and opening our door of our life to you. I want to suggest to you for a second, if you feel burnt out, worn out in your roles in churches, it may well be that you've moved away from that first love. There's no shame in that. All we need to do is open the door again and he'll come. Now, I would like to pray for you if that's you. Would you place your hand in the air right now? Or perhaps you're trying to prove to God you're worthy enough, good enough. Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you. 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 And that's what the Lord would be saying. You're hearing my voice and I'm coming to your house. Some of you have made great sacrifices and commitments. Some of it has come out of but he wants desire to be loyal to the Lord. And that's a good thing. But he wants to draw you back. He loves you whether you've got a lot or a little. He doesn't care. He just loves you to pieces. And he wants to be in your life. If you're struggling with your identity in Christ or who you are, you constantly making comparison to others I want to pray for you as well because comparison is an indicator that you've maybe not at peace with who you are in Christ so I want to pray for you as well would you place your hand in the air wow thank you Lord there are a lot of people Jesus here you see every hand so Lord I pray that you would visit those that have responded the Holy Spirit you would be at work in them Lord, that you would do mighty, mighty works in them. And they would know your goodness in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I'd like everyone just to look at me just for a second. Um, 
Now, I'm going to, I want to give you an invitation, which is a serious invitation. It doesn't matter how long you've been in church. And it doesn't matter whether you've lived what you think is a pretty perfect life or whether you feel like the worst sinner. The issue that makes salvation real is that you believe that Jesus died and he rose again and that you are willing to trust that work alone. That you're not trusting in how much you pray, you're not trusting in how much you go to church, you're not trusting in anything other than the fact that Jesus died for you and he rose. And you're willing to surrender your whole life and say, Jesus, forgive me that I've I've tried to work it out myself. Or maybe you're a person who when you say sorry, you actually don't believe you're forgiven. Well, that's the point where you need to totally surrender yourself to the Lord and accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. So I want to give you that invitation. Would you close your eyes? If that's you, you've never really surrendered 100% just to Jesus, invited Him into your life, I want you to place your hand in the air. It's no longer about how good you are or how bad you are. You may have never done this before. It is trusting the Lord 100%. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This is really important. No one knows the moment that someone's born again, only the Lord. And it's that moment that we can freely let go and trust. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. That is precious, my friend. Very precious. Thank you so much. The Lord loves you. Thank you. We're going to pray this prayer together with those that have responded. If you believe in your heart sincerely, the Lord will hear and He's going to do a great work. So would we all pray this together, everybody? You can open your eyes. Simple prayer. God, I trust in Jesus that He died, that He rose. And because of that, my sins can be forgiven and I can start afresh. Give me your Holy Spirit that I might follow you. Amen. Wonderful, wonderful. Beautiful church. Are we going to worship now? Wonderful. Hey, why don't you just applaud your musos? Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you for joining us this week. If you wish to connect with us, please send an email to info at life.house or come and see us at 170 Adelaide Road, Murray Bridge. And remember, the door is always open for you at Lifehouse. God's house, our home.